everyone. Welcome to the Stallion Pancake Podcast. We're back, baby. Tax season is semi-over. What a time. Uh, this week, I had Amanda Britton back. I actually recorded this a few weeks ago, but it's just been so busy, I haven't been able to post it. Um, she formerly worked at Bardo. We did a podcast, which I reposted for the last one, so this is kind of a continuation. She's now working at Orto. Um, Paul Verica's new Italian restaurant in Noda. And uh, she's amazing. She won Mitsologist of the Year for North Carolina in 2017, I believe. So she's super talented, and all of her cocktails are amazing. That's just a fact. So enjoy the pod. And uh, we're back for the summer, baby. You're welcome. Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sky and Pancake Podcast. I'm Jason Ackerman. Oh, this is Amanda Britton. Amanda Britton, back. Uh, a repeat guest. That's an honor. Yes, I'm honored. You know, <laughs> you know when you get five, you get a like a Saturday Night Live jacket. That's right. Yeah, the five timers. I'm gonna shoot for that. No one's made it there yet because I can't afford the jackets, so you have to <laughs> stop it for. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The, everyone's like, why can't I get that fifth spot? <laughs> but very glad to have you back on. Um, a lot of things have happened. I posted your episode last week so people can hear it. So a lot of stuff has happened in three years in Charlotte and in your life. You're now at Orto. So let's. Yeah. So why don't you tell us um, tell us some of the things that you're um, – because when we talked to you, how long were you at Bardo then? The first time? Yeah. Actually, uh, we recorded that podcast, I think, in October, and we opened in May. So, what, five months? And I've been there were, probably seven, you know, since before we opened, but... Yes, yeah, so it was, like, yeah. the very infancy of Bardo, and, like, since then, like, Charlotte's changed a lot. So, what do you think, I guess, in the cocktail scene, what's been, like, the biggest change from when you were on here last? Um, the drinkers, probably. I'd say the people that are coming in for cocktails uh, in the last pod... I talked about more educated drinkers and, and being able to, across the bar, make people feel more comfortable with craft cocktails or this kind of like more thoughtful execution of cocktails. So probably the drinkers, if I'm honest, I think that we've had this incredible talent in the city. And of course, in the last three years, we've just seen more of it. But I think it's more adventurous drinkers, more knowledgeable drinkers. Amaro is a much easier sell these days than it used to be. So that's been nice. That's cool. So what's like... I guess when someone comes in and they order, like, what's the cocktail they someone orders when you know, like, okay, this person's a basic bitch, like, this is going to go bad? <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know. I think a lot of the times we can kind of fall back on some beautifully balanced classics, like a French 75 with a really delicate gin. I think any vodka drinker would like, and that's an opportunity to be able to show them that you know, there's more than a vodka soda that they like, you know, this has acidity and effervescence and um, it's not this overwhelming whiskey flavor, smoky flavor, sweet flavor, you know, gin is obviously, they call it like the first um, flavored vodka because it's infused with botanicals and stuff, but it's an easy sell if you're doing the right one. Um, all spirits are on a spectrum, so not all gins taste the same. So it's having, it's having the knowledge to be able to pair a more delicate gin with a vodka drinker or um, uh, something like that. I've had Orto, so stuff might happen. Um, 
but yeah, no, I think that there's easy ways to be able to get uh, people who would normally drink something that isn't adventurous to fall back on these classics because they are balanced and that's why they've stuck around for so long. So I guess what if you are just getting into cocktails and you're used to like, you know, you maybe you just graduated college and you're like trying to go make a little baby step. Yeah. What's a good baby step? Like first couple drinks. Like if you're used to just like slamming fireballs. <laughs> oh, well then hopefully you still like regular whiskey versus cinnamon whiskey. But I guess it depends on what you start with because not everybody starts with the same spirit. My twin sister started with gin. And at that time I was like, oh, absolutely not. I was doing tequila. So, so let's Margaret- go. So let's go. T- t- let's just say you're a lady. You like to go a little crazy on the tequila. I'm okay. not talking about Yvonne specifically, but this did apply to her. She does that, like tequila and mezcal. Like tequila. So, like, what's like a nice little step drink with tequila that is good for people to order? Where you go to a bar and, and the bartender will be like, "Oh, this person knows their shit." <laughs> um. So I like a Paloma. A Paloma is really classic. Uh, but also an El Diablo. It's not a more well-known classic uh, tequila cocktail. So tell us what Paloma wine. is. Paloma is a uh, tequila and then usually um, like a little bit of lime juice and then uh, grapefruit and soda water or a nice grapefruit soda. Like your Ritos is a fantastic one and usually what I'll use if I'm making a Paloma. And then the El Diablo is tequila, ginger beer, traditionally creme de cassis, but you could do some kind of a port wine or I've done a spiced hibiscus syrup and replace. And that's a nice introductory way of having tequila that's not maybe in your basic way. I love that. So all the tequila drinkers out there, order a Paloma or a Spicy Diablo. (laughs) So one thing I love about you and loved about Bardo is you always had like these cool salts and cool like little accoutrement Mm -hmm. that you would add. So just tell us, just kind of remind the people like how you got into that type of stuff and maybe how you've evolved over the last couple of years in your cocktail making. Well, the, so I like what I always call a functional garnish. I like a garnish to make sense. Normally, the last thing that, that I do is name a cocktail because I want to think it through. I want everything to kind of have a purpose for being there. So those salts, that's funny. I started, um, one of my sisters was pregnant and we were doing a baby shower and it was a circus theme and we were doing um, a little popcorn bar. So I was like, well, how fun. I'll come up with like different salts. You know, like a rosemary and herb salt. There was like a nacho cheese salt. Like I just thought it would be fun for people to be able to make their own and then realized how easy it was. Um, so started doing that at at Bardo for the cooling effect, which I never would have thought would have been as popular as it was. People loved that drink. And that was like and, the first, was that the first big cocktail hit at Bardo? Yeah, that and the South Mint 75 were really big. Uh, the putting down roots on my opening menu is one that I'm like most proud of. It's the most photographed, maybe not the most ordered, because mezcal and rum isn't everybody's bag, but it so was tell people. So remind people what was in the cooling effect. The cooling effect was a Lunazole Reposado tequila, and then I did Arbol and Guajillo peppers, uh, aloe. So I took an actual aloe leaf and would break that down and incorporate that into the syrup that I would make and then sweeten it with agave. So it would actually give a cooling effect. You would get that heat kind of up front, and then the aloe would cool it down. And then the garnish on the side was... Um, just coarse salt mixed with ground, uh, the same peppers in the cocktail, so Arbol and Guajillo. So that way you could kind of amp up the heat and choose your own adventure. I love that. 
And what was the um what was the carrot one you did? That's the putting down roots. Yeah, yeah. So a little nod to all of us who have moved to Charlotte and made it our home and come here and put down roots, but also because I use carrots, ginger, and beets, all root vegetables, um, in that cocktail as well. So it was um muddy river rum from Belmont, North Carolina, sombra mezcal, and then uh carrot juice, beet pu- golden beet puree, ginger, dill, and lime. And then of course that beautiful big dill sprig on the side. Yeah. That was that was like that had like a wow effect when you brought it out. You're like, this was cool. And it was very Bardo-y, like earthy feel. Really tied everything together. Yeah, I love that. Love that cocktail still. So so I guess when how long do you keep a cocktail on a menu? Like when does it get to where like you want to move it off? I think it depends. Sometimes it's um once I get sick of making it. You know, saying the same thing all the time, especially if it's super popular. It's like, okay, how can I kind of still make something that people are going to want to drink, but maybe isn't this exact cocktail? Because that's what happened with the cooling effect. Eventually, it just was like that became such the the beast there, which was great. I love that people liked it. And when we took it off the menu, people still asked for it. We offered it as one of our cocktail kits when we shut down because we knew people would want that specific cocktail. Um, and sometimes it depends on the seasons at places like Bardo, we would get really fun ingredients in, and then you want to try and play with that and see how you can use it. Um, a lot of inspiration came from Mike's dishes. So depending on how, how quickly he changed those sometimes would reflect how quickly I would change my cocktails, but I'm not someone who subscribes to like, okay, it's spring. So we have to do a spring menu. You know, I want to make sure that each cocktail has their opportunity to shine. So, you know, when we first opened, it wasn't like super crazy balls to the wall but i wanted to make sure that those cocktails like the putting down roots that i was super proud of had their proper like spotlight the opportunity to shine yeah yeah i think it's interesting because like something's so good that it kind of overtakes everything like you said and you kind of want to like i can do more so you just got to kind of cut it off sometimes yeah and there's also a science to menu making um they say that 33% of people will order the first thing on the menu. So sometimes if I feel like there's a, a dog on the menu that isn't selling as well, but I really think has potential, I'll put it up at the top. And then if it's still not performing well, then I know it's time to get rid of it. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. See, learning, Amanda dropping knowledge. <laughs> yes, I, I, that's just something that I carried with me. And it's, you know, when you love what you do like I do you figure out ways to be better at it not only just making delicious cocktails but you know the art of selling it too so when you're designing a cocktail menu like how many how many drinks are you trying to put on it like what's your what's your thought process of that my sweet spot is like eight to ten again there's also like a science behind that I watched a whole thing about men making in the cocktail industry and so eight to 10 is usually the sweet spot because more than that, people get overwhelmed. Like if you have a really long list, there's no way people are reading through absolutely everything. But if you can make it balanced and have something for everybody, whether it's spirit forward, smoky, spicy, citrusy, refreshing, then it doesn't have to be very long. At Orto, we have eight cocktails on the menu. That gives me that flexibility to add two more if I want, feature something for the weekend um, as our patio is open now, and as the summer gets nicer, we'll do some kind of fun rotating spritzes. But yeah, that gives me the opportunity not to inundate our our guests with like almost too many options, 
But of course, we always do just like so many places of bartender's choice. So we can also riff something for you based off of what you like in the moment. So when you, you kind of went through all the different flavors, but like what types of alcohol are you trying to hit to make sure that you get all of them covered on a menu? So a good kind of example is actually what I'm doing here at Orto. Um, kind of doing research on Italian cocktails, I found that it was like Campari, 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 <laughs> and everything, which is great. I love Campari, but I just thought to myself, all my cocktails are going to be red. Like that's, there's going to be no depth or dimension. And then just going back on what I've kind of uh, built into my own brand is working from the back to the front. So utilizing things in the back of house behind the bar. Um, so with Italian cocktails, there's so many beautiful ingredients that are native to Italy. So instead of just being at base like limoncello, um, Campari, aperitivos, vino amaros, and amari, like uh, obviously I love fernet. It's one of my favorite things. But how do I incorporate um, non-traditional Italian spirits with Italian ingredients? So we have a Garibaldi riff, which has a, it's called a You Must Be Mine. Giuseppe Garibaldi was, um, I think he was a general in the in the Italian Revolutionary War. Don't quote me on that, even though this is going to be on a podcast. Um, but he was a, so he was given credit for uniting the North and the South. And um, so that cocktail was named after him. And it's just Campari and orange juice. So I did a riff here with mezcal, fennel, lime, and then a blood orange soda because fennel is Italian, blood orange is Italian. But I can sneak mezcal in there. I'll still be able to have a cocktail that a mezcal drinker is going to want to drink but still is inherently Italian too, because of the rest of the ingredients that are in there. That's kind of was my thought process through this menu here. I have whiskey cocktails with Amaro and pomegranate and, you know, other Italian ingredients because you got to have a whiskey cocktail on the menu. You know, I want people to come in and feel like there's something for everybody on that. So we have gin, vodka, there's a rum cocktail, tequila, mezcal, whiskey, all the things. (laughs) All the things. And Amanda will always take care of you too always. she always makes great and so let's talk a little bit about non-alcoholic cocktails of or, course or whatever we're calling them these days like <laughs> that's obviously been a huge in the last three years like a huge resurgence i, I don't know resurgence but trend um to have alcoholic free spirit free cocktails on the menu um and there's been like all the huge big three Michelin star restaurants are starting to do this and coming out with cocktail cookbooks, mocktail things. Um, so long question, but like how, how have you tried to incorporate the non-alcoholic cocktails into your. I, I think about with my cocktails, how could not necessarily to make that cocktail non-alcoholic, but how to use the ingredients in it to be non-alcoholic. Um, I've done sodas for years. I love making carbonated sodas wherever I'm at. Um, I've had them at Bardo. I've had them at Vana. And now I have a blood orange soda here, which is great because I can play with that and make a non-alcoholic version or or I can make a spirit-free cocktail for someone. We've already had quite a few come in. That's something that I I love to do. I find it super challenging, probably more challenging than just a cocktail um, to be able to. So why is it more challenging? Because when someone wants a whiskey cocktail, you already have a starting point. There's already somewhere to go. You know, whatever whiskey that they chose, rye, bourbon, uh, Japanese, whatever it is, there's a jumping off point that has a flavor profile that you're familiar with. And so how can you complement that versus starting from literally a blank page 
and having to build that cocktail is just literally based off of the ingredients that you have. So I find that to be challenging versus like, okay, rum, I know where I can go with this. Tequila, I know what's going to go well with this. Mocktails, you're starting from from scratch. There's no kind of little cheat sheet in your head. So you have to kind of be really thoughtful with it too, because you don't want to just throw, which we don't have cranberry, you know, pineapple, orange, top it with soda water, because that's what, you know, you probably can get a million other places. You want something thoughtful and I want to give you something thoughtful. Yeah. You always make good non-alcoholic cocktails. Thank you. I'm like the one person that's not like a, like some people obviously like have alcoholism or something, but I've just never been an alcohol guy. I don't know. Well, that's what's neither is my twin sister. She'll go out and have a cocktail from time to time, but just never really been her thing. And I think that what's, you know, with the, the popularity or the focus on non-alcoholic uh, cocktails or spirit free cocktails is that it, when somebody's not drinking, you don't ask them why not. It used to be the assumption that there was, they had a problem and now they're choosing. Or they're pregnant. Just, that's what yeah, it does. It. People, like, that's she's just not, that's just not like, their don't sex. Don't worry. She's not pregnant. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's just, it's funny because that's, that was like the stigma of saying that you don't drink is because people would think that that means that you're recovering from something or you had an issue. And some people that's just, that's just yeah, not, exactly. that's what they're into. But again, like for me, it's the, it's the making the guests happy. It's being able to give them something that they enjoy, uh, hopefully that they didn't expect that they would. I like to be able to surprise people and have them be like, well, I didn't think that I would, I would like that. I have strawberry and blueberry paired with a Fernet Branca and a Vino Amaro here called Vesubio and people are loving it. But I also thoughtfully put blueberry and strawberry, which people know and are familiar with two, with two other things that they probably aren't because it'll have a better opportunity for them to kind of go outside of their comfort zone. So, but I want you to have a delicious cocktail with or without spirit. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, another thing that was super smart is you developed the cocktail kit at Bardo, which yes. where you like, I was actually talking with them on a pod that couldn't air because the sound was so bad, but they were, I was like, were you guys the first people who came up with it? And they're like, yeah, I think Amanda was. So how'd you come up with it? Um, So cocktails to go cocktails have existed in other markets. Um. Before everything shut down, I think it shut down on a Tuesday last year, uh, the whole team um, at Bardo met and we were talking about how just kind of anticipating what could be happening. We were watching what was happening on the West Coast and seeing that kind of coming our way. How can we kind of get ahead of this? Let's start ordering to go boxes because soon everyone's going to be and then it's going to be harder to get. Just trying to really plan out what was kind of unplannable. Um, But we were talking about to-go cocktails and chef William Underwood was the one who said, well, could we do those to go? And I was like, no, like legally we can't. And he said, well, could we do kits? And I was like, you're, you're damn right. We can. And so that's immediately (laughs) what we did at the time I was doing my cocktail classes at Bardo on Sundays. So we had some uh, bottles already in house. So we just made, I think originally it was the cooling effect and the no fig deal. I had to go. And those were the first two. Um, just because we had that prep already and it was just the easiest thing to be able to just immediately go with. So I used all the bottles that we had, we sold out really quickly and then immediately started getting more. But I think there was between shutdown and us doing the kits maybe one day. And 
I think we were the first ones in Charlotte to to go just pull the trigger on it for sure. But clearly not the the first ones to ever come up with it. But the kits were great because people were buying alcohol at the ABC store and having a whole bottle at home. So they were already having these spirits. So how can we give them something that they'd be able to use with what they already had at home? And most of my cocktails were um, created so that you could use multiple kinds of spirits with the kit that you had. So it wasn't just tequila. It could be gin or tequila, vodka, or, you know, something else. Yeah. And chef uh, Mike Noel was telling me that uh, you guys are actually delivering the kits to everybody. And like, yeah, well, we what's did this delivery story you have. <laughs> so we don't, we didn't deliver a whole bunch. Um, we, the neighborhood uh, of Wilmore has always been an incredible support for Bardo. And we definitely had regulars in that neighborhood that were buying multiples of them. I would leave work and go down Wilmore Drive and see our cocktail kit bags on people's front porches because someone in the neighborhood bought them and delivered them. But no, we didn't We necessarily delivered. We had something called the Bardo Bug, so um, a vintage VW Bug. And we would uh, choose neighborhoods that weren't really in our vicinity that would be easy for them to get to us. We would post up there. Um, that we would contact their community. They would put something out and people would pre-order these cocktail kits. And um, sometimes our take and make shishito peppers. And we would go to that neighborhood and deliver them. Or we would have like a spot where people were able to pick up. But then we would also have some extra ones that we would sell on the spot as well. So, yeah, that I mean, there were some Saturdays I was making anywhere between like 300 to 500 kits that were going out to these neighborhoods. I think over the entire shutdown, um, it was over 3,700 that I made. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so yeah. good, though, because the profit margin on those are good, and it's a way to support the restaurant. And uh, really, I, it, it, I'm sure it was happening in other places, but just, like, to come out with that. And and you were, because you're known for, like, your garnishes and all this stuff, like, it was an easy sell for people to, like, no one knows how to make those garnishes, but they know how to pour alcohol in it. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that people, <laughs> place to open up to and that people still wanted to be able to come and get cocktails there you know and I think that that was nice that people could have that experience at home you know as close as they could during these like super challenging times that we all kind of experienced so probably nice to have a little bit of of luxury or you know craft yeah. cocktail at home so your time at Barta was up and you were looking for a new place to go how'd you decide on Orto? Um, Paul and I had done, um, a next plate dinner, uh, at Camp North End, which was super fun. Um, I've waited on Paul and his fiance Jane at my bar multiple times. His son, Alex, um, we're both from the Philly area. He's from Doylestown and I am from South Jersey. So we kind of have this connection that way. Yeah. Um, you're obnoxious Philly fans. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Unapologetically do. Um, but yeah, so it just kind of almost felt like meant to be once you know he reached out I kind of already knew that that was where I was supposed to go and then we met and it was kind of like all right so we're moving forward and of course an Italian spot with my love for Amaro's and aperitivos you know how exciting for me to be able to flex that muscle I've I've done a lot of even with Vana you know that was more of a south end more volume it was a more fun kind of cocktail program than the thoughtful culinary aspect at Bardo. Um, so this is just another muscle that I got to flex. So it's exciting to have the opportunity to work with somebody so talented who's just, you know, got accolades that obviously you could easily 
easily look up, but also someone that I respect and admire so much. Yeah. Awesome man. <laughs> Is he right behind you? That's too much. He's over there. Yeah. So that's why I said it louder. Um, so uh, I guess explain to people who don't know, like what an Amaro is. So Amaro is Italian for bitter. Um, it's an herbal liqueur. Uh, the most common and most well-known one is uh, for net bronze. that built in their head what they think that that means um but it's an herbal liqueur it's a normally a digestif as well so kind of how i explain it to people is that when we were cavemen and um so a digestif or uh, digestivo it's meant for after a large meal it helps kick in your digestion process because when we were cavemen and we would forage in the forest or cave women um if we would eat something bitter our brain would tell us that it was poisonous it would kick in your digestion system and start it going. So it's literally a reaction that we have in our brain when we taste something bitter. It makes your body start that digestive process. But um, for me, I got into it with Fernet Branca. Um, people refer to it as the bartender's handshake, meaning like when you go to a bar, if you order it, you either know that that person on the other side of the bar probably is a bartender in the industry or just at least knows what they're talking about, which are the kind of people where if someone orders Fernet completely on their own, I will seek them out. And be like, tell me more. Like, how did you, how did you meet this great love of my life? Um, but yeah, I, at first I didn't like it. You know, just it. People say the fernet face. The first time you have it, it, it is bitter and it's intense. Um, I get a lot of black licorice in it. A lot of people get mint, but it's you know, it's not something that people usually immediately like. The only person I know that did right away was my mom, and it's because she used to steal the black jelly beans out of our Easter basket. So she's a black licorice anist person, but. I forced myself almost to like it. I started in craft beer and there are definitely beers that I didn't enjoy at first, but trying it and drinking it over and over again to just understand why other people liked it and to better kind of mature my palate because you don't know what it is until you taste it. Um, and that's super important when you're making cocktails and need to be creative is kind of always elevating your palate and pushing it to appreciate things that maybe you normally wouldn't. And then one day it just clicked and Fernet has been my jam ever since. Uh, I usually just drink it straight or as a shot. That's, that's my thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> that a little bit. Um, so just my love of that. But what I also love to do is sneak it in, in a cocktail and be able to talk about it as passionately as I do to a guest and make them less intimidated by it. And here, at Orto, with it being such a part of the ethos of the bar program, I love just tasting people on Amaro's, different Amaro's, Chinar, Zuka, I mean, Averna, just there's so many out there. And then there's Vino Amaro's, which are wine-based Amaro's, which I've always wanted to be able to put a focus on. And it just makes so much sense here. So I love being able to just people's face when they try and they're like, oh, I didn't expect it to taste, but taste that way. But I like it. It's just, it's super rewarding. And then it's like, all right, now let's make you something with it. So... Where do they all come from Italy? Do they come from different places? Where where do you get them? So um, unfortunately, North Carolina are ready are readily available. Amaros are really small. Um, we have special order, which is great. Fernet um, is originally from Italy. They also have a distillery in um, uh, Argentina. But then you have things like Fernet Francisco, which is made in San Francisco. They're the largest consumers of Fernet in the country, so that makes sense. 
so they're not necessarily all Italian, but all the ones that we have here are outside of uh, the Etta Rhine Appalachian Fernet, which is a North Carolina Fernet, which is super cool. So it doesn't have to be made there. It's not one of those things like um, like champagne or brand, or cognac where it has to be made in a specific region. No, it's kind of mutated and in, into their own things. Fernet has become its own category under Amaro. That's cool. I say make it wherever you can. So, so what's your favorite Fernet? Branca. Branca is my favorite. And then probably Leopold. Um, for those of you who have never been to Billy Sunday, they have a bunch of vintage Amaros. So again, we're super limited in what we can have in North Carolina. So I haven't even experienced even probably a drop of what there is out there. So I encourage anyone that's uh, interested in trying more, definitely go check out Billy Sunday. They have an incredible, incredible Amaro selection there. I've had Fernet from the 1960s which is just a super treat. So how can treat. Billy Sunday have it and you not have it? Well, I could have it. It would take quite a bit of work. There's um, Billy Sunday is known for their vintage uh, spirits collection. You can get in their original location in Chicago, like you can get 1970s Aperol, you know, Campari from the 60s and 70s. Obviously those things are super limited as well. So Stephanie Andrews over there um, is a lot more well-versed on how that would happen. But it's the same thing with Crunkleton and their vintage uh, whiskeys. There's just proper channels legally that you have to go through to be able to acquire those. So you have to go through the North Carolina ABC board and get them all. For everything. For, yeah, there's yeah, lots of hoops to jump through. Well, you should you should open up a bar in South Carolina because COVID's over here. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> and, uh, open. and there's just liquor you can do whatever you want down here. I like Charlotte. I think I'll stick here for a little so while. What, but so what's funny? On the North, that, is there I'm any sorry. movement on the North Carolina board to make it easier to get stuff? Not that not that I know of. Honestly, with um with the shutdown and the to go cocktails, I was pleasantly surprised that they even pushed that through. There's not a lot of movement, but we have to think even this this whole craft cocktail um situation in charlotte is still kind of new you know it's only been in a real way the last what five years six years it used to be just the punch room in soul you know yeah. and those places that you went you saw kellen bob and then colleen obviously was making her mark and noda but like it's still relatively new and we know things don't change quickly here so i'm hopeful i hope that as we have these uh beverage and food destinations that the state sees that these things are important we have a one-in-one-out policy so for something to be listed, something else has to be delisted. So we can have like 20 different kinds of three olives flavors, but Ancho Reyes is special order. There's just certain <laughs> yeah. things that don't, that don't make sense. But, but you know what? I think it's what's beautiful is that working with the parameters that we have here, because I always say, you know, at the end of the day, we basically all have the same back bar outside of special orders and all of that. Like we all have the same kind of choices when it comes to our, our back bar. So we have to be creative in different ways. That's why you see things like these, these um, like culinary syrups and stuff behind the bar, because we, we have to think that way. We have to figure out how do we make ourselves and our cocktails stand out? Because at the end of the day, we're kind of all working with the same ingredients. So th- I feel like that that's been the most challenging and rewarding thing about being a bartender in Charlotte. And that's something that I'll have if I ever, ever take it somewhere else you know, to another state that I think will be able to set me apart because I've had to work with such kind of tight parameters. Stefan put it beautifully one time, and I'm sure he would do a better job of saying that. But yeah, I think that we are just 
a different breed of bartender here in North Carolina because we kind of have to be. I love that. So you kind of mentioned some other bartenders. So who, so who are the other like movers and shakers around town that you should go visit? So the OGs of the OGs obviously are Stefan, Kel, Bob. So Kel Minton, um, if you go to Kiki and you don't head over to Tattoo, you're doing it wrong. Um, it is just a great small little bespoke cocktail bar. Kel is just always blowing me away with what um, what I think cocktails can be. And he just makes it a complete experience. Um, it's it's a small, intimate place. And you just feel so well taken care of. Colleen just opened up Supperland in the bar at Supperland, which is stunning and beautiful. I got a little sneak peek of it. And as she always does, she's killing it. Bob is taking all of his stuff a virtual right now and he's doing really well. And then of course, Stefan at dot, dot, dot. Um, but Idlewild is one of my all time favorite, favorite spots. Uh, their whole right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I'm excited to be in Noda because not only my vicinity to Idlewild, but it's another neighborhood that I get to tackle. Yeah. Yeah, They're, they're fantastic. That is, it's like my cheers. I go in there and they know my name and normally there's a bunch of other industry people in there too. And it's just, it's just such a great spot. So, of course, Vince, who's the owner there, but then there's Tyler and Mason and they just and uh, Regan. They just absolutely kill it there. Uh, Eli over at Dogwood. Um, when Brian LaRusso left, Eli left uh, Fin and Fino, still in the same restaurant group, and went and took over the bar at um, Dogwood. And he's absolutely killing it. I went there the other week to try um, a Charlotte Bourbon Society barrel pick from Dickel that I helped select. So I went over there and he just, I mean, hospitality over at Dogwood and it, the Rare Roots uh, restaurant group is always like bar none. They're just fantastic. And then love Billy Sunday, um, Allie over there, Annie. I mean, just you can't, there's so many great cocktail bars. It used to be like four or five and now they're just everywhere. You can find these fantastic cocktails. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't been to Billy Sunday yet, so I got to go there. Love, love that spot. But they kill it. Get a vintage Amaro. I will. Done. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll break the non-alcoholic streak for those. Yeah. <laughs> so what about what about food? What's like the um what are your favorite spots around town right now that you've been to? I'm trying to think. I've been here, so I'm usually bopping around North Davidson Street right now. Um, Salud, honestly, they just rolled out a new uh, food menu, and it's delicious. Jason and Darylin, who run that spot, just do it right. I love going over there and getting a beer and pizza. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the last places I went to go eat. Alchemy at C3 Lab. Went there a couple weeks ago. Really enjoyed myself a lot. Um, with this nice weather, I want to go back and sit on the patio. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. Yvonne, really there. like it a lot. Yeah. I have places on my list that I need to go, but I haven't been going out a whole bunch. Yeah, it's hard when... So, I guess, like, when you're... Kind of go through the process of, op- like... Because you... Orto's brand new. Been open for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you're starting from complete scratch on everything. So, what, yeah. like... Maybe go through, like, not the glamorous parts, but, like... How do you go about building a bar? So I had joined the team only a couple weeks before we opened. So it wasn't a whole long lead time. Luckily, I've opened a couple bars. So I kind of knew kind of what to expect. I'm really good at working with what what I'm kind of given. Um, so 
there were a few adjustments in the layout of the bar, but other than that, it's like getting glassware, getting the systems in place, figuring out how things will operate here because every restaurant is different. So you have to be able to be adaptable too. But I just looked at the space and once I figured out what I wanted the cocktails to be, because you can't kind of, at least in my brain, you can't pick the glassware without knowing what you want it to look like, what these cocktails are going to be. Um, I'm very simplistic in my in my choices. I like very clean glassware. I want the cocktail to stand out for itself. But then it's it's how do you want service well set up? I have certain things that I do at every restaurant. I color code everything. I'm all about speed of service. That's my TGI Fridays days. I like accredit so much of my efficiency to my years there because they just absolutely did it right. So it's just the organization getting things where they need to go. I worked that first weekend with the same two bartenders. So we were able to shift after shift, make adjustments, um, tweak things as we need, because you don't really know what's going to, what to expect until those doors open. You don't know what's going to be popular, what makes sense to put where in the well um, until you kind of know what that volume is going to look like. But it's, it's a little bit uh, old hat for me when it comes to the, the opening part. It's actually the, the execution when, you know, when we're live and the doors are open, that's, that's more usually the more challenging aspect of it. So if you're starting a little bar at your house, let's mm-hmm. say, what are, what are some of the things that like you have to have? So bitters, Angostura, Peychaud's and uh, Regan's orange are like the Holy Trinity. That's really what you need. Again, I'm simplistic. I'm OG when it comes to my bitters. That's usually all that I'll, I have. Um, we'll bring other stuff in if bartenders want to play with it, but those exist in so many different cocktails. Um, same thing with things like sweet vermouth and Campari. You can make so many different cocktails with those two ingredients on top of just your spirits. So Boulevardiers, Manhattans, Negronis, Americanos, Garibaldis, like you can make endless amounts of cocktails if you have Campari and sweet vermouth, either together, separate. Um, so a lot of times I encourage people to invest in kind of those modifiers or cordials and liqueurs because you're clearly going to have um, kind of your standard vodka, gin, rum, things of that nature at your house. I say find a couple of classics that you like, um, like a last word, and then buy some of those kind of modifiers because you're going to be able to play around with those. You don't need 10 different kinds of tequilas and whiskey and vodka. So that's easy. So just a little sweet vermouth, some Campari and some bitters. Yeah, I mean, you can always add on to that with chartreuse and luxardo and, you know, and open up your world. But if you're just trying to kind of add a little bit more to it and give yourself some versatility, that those are two great bottles to be able to pick up. And when people come over, you'll, you can whip up a lot of things and impress yeah. them. And that's all that's all it's about is impressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about um, the other trend that's happened in the last few years is just like the local spirits. Mm-hmm. seems like there's so many local spirits. So what are some of your favorite local gins and vodkas and whatever that are popping up around? So I love Muddy River uh, Distillery. They make rum in Belmont, North Carolina. Um, Robbie and Caroline Delaney are the owners there. Uh, they're actually the rum that I used when I won Mixologist of the Year uh, in 2017. Um, so I'm a big fan of theirs. Their coconut rum um, is so delicious. I think it's the best coconut rum that exists it's super um tastes like authentic it doesn't taste like suntan lotion as some of us are used to with (laughs) things like malibu but i think that north carolina makes some of the best gins um there's so many out there that are so beautiful but i usually am 
North Carolina gin heavy. If I'm supporting local, that's usually the spirit in which I do it. Um, so there's Settlers in Winston-Salem, Thousand Pierce Gin, which is a newer one from uh, Washington, North Carolina. It's super citrusy and beautiful. I've used it um, on my menu at Vana and I have it on a cocktail here at Orto. There's also Emulsion from Greensboro, North Carolina. Fainting Goat uh, is the distillery and it's just beautiful and cardamom, black pepper. It's fantastic. And then of course, Cardinal, they do a barrel rested gin and they're from Kings Mountain, North Carolina. And I am just such a big fan of that. There's no other barrel rested gin that I've been able to try that even comes close. So there's all these places around that you can go visit. Yeah. Go to their tasting room, buy a bottle when you're there, buy two. Yeah. This, I, don't, I don't think I've had the coconut rum from Muddy River. It's right there. I love it's coconut rum. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's so very good. I'm going to go there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at Orto, what are some of your favorite things that are on the food menu? If you're oh. gonna have a, if you're gonna have some, you know, go there and drink. What what should we eat? Yeah, well, the arancini is my favorite starter, and it's been super popular. Um, so these like beautiful fried risotto balls. I love the brightness that the lemon zest brings to it. Um, the meatballs, but the pastas are probably my favorite. There's a spinach and three cheese ravioli that just watching other people eat it and their eyes get wide because it is just. You think it's going to be so simple, but there's so much depth of flavor in it. There's a lobster and spinach ravioli that's fantastic. The Papa Adele with the braised rabbit is, I've always been suggesting that to guests. But yeah, the pastas are probably my favorite. I'm looking forward to a day off and having a pizza on the patio with a with a high life or a spaghetti or something <laughs> and just enjoying it very much. So the weather's been so beautiful and I'm jealous of all the people on the patio. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I, the pizza wasn't the oven wasn't working or something wasn't right the first night, but he, when he, when Paul was on the pot, he talked about the pizza a lot and I'm like dying to try it. Oh yeah. I like the sauce on top because the crust is like so crispy. Yeah. It's definitely different. You're not going to find it anywhere else in Charlotte. Mm. Love it. So excited. So are you, do you help at all with the Stanley or is that just kind of separate? Nope. Allie, Allie takes care of the bar program over there. I am just, yes. I'm here at Orto. This is just this an order. You guys are just sisters. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Amanda has a twin sister, which she talked about in the first pod, and she was at the opening of Orto, and we almost like yelled at her. We're like, <laughs> Amanda, because they look exactly the same, and it was. But at the very last moment, I'm like, that's not Amanda. I could tell. I, I could tell somehow. I told you, she's so used to that. She just, especially because she lives in Indian Trail, so when she's in like Charlotte. She knows that if people look at her, she's like, yeah, he looked like he wanted to say hi to me. She just <laughs> was just telling me that this morning. She was, uh, she went to Undercurrent Coffee and one of the owners, Todd, who I know, um, she's like, he kept looking at me like he was going to come over and say hi. I'm sure he thought I was you. So that happens. She's so used she to She needs it a now. shirt that says, I'm not Amanda. Oh my goodness. No, I think sometimes there are people that'll come up or there are times where people think that I'm her sitting at the bar when I'm supposed to be working. And then yeah. they see me come out of the kitchen like, oh, oh. <laughs> is that the first time you had seen her uh yeah that's the first time yeah. i've seen her mm-hmm. but like and everyone should listen to the one i just posted a few weeks ago but because amanda gives more of her background but that was uh when you talked about your twin sister there mm-hmm. i was like oh yeah that's uh they're legit twins <laughs> yeah she's my my biggest supporter she's my my compass 
Well, I'm I'm so happy that you found Orto and you're getting to live your uh, Fernet dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so before we go, what's the best thing that you ate this week or drank? Oh as my a goodness. Now, do you like to be, okay, should we call you a bartender? Should we call you a mixologist? Does it matter? No, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I feel like mixology is what I do when I'm creating the cocktail and when I'm just behind the bar, I'm just bartending. I mean, I'm a girl from Jersey who worked at TGI Fridays and I just feel feel lucky to be able to do what I do and have people enjoy it. So whatever you want to call me, doesn't really matter. We need to get some uh, Taylor ham on the menu. I know. I love Taylor ham. I love all the uh, the nostalgic Jersey things. One of our cocktails on the menu here is called the lemon water ice. So I make an Italian herb uh, water ice because that's a, a Philly thing. You know, South Jersey, I grew up getting water ice on the weekends. And so I thought, how fun would that be? And it's a riff off of um, another Italian classic cocktail where they n- normally use lemon sorbet. So I did an Italian herb, lemon water ice and you know, mm, I think I'll that sounds so down. good. That sounds like so refreshing today. It's like 70 degrees. Yeah. Go outside. Well, eventually we'll do brunch. And when that happens, I'll probably do instead of for mimosas juice, it'll be flavored water ices. Oh. So, oh. yeah, just a little, yeah, a little nod back to home, which I like. It makes me makes me nostalgic. I love it. All right. So tell us the, the best thing you drank or ate this week. Uh, best thing that I drank this week. I'm trying to remember the name of the cocktail. Um, Tyler, no, Mason made it for me over at Idlewild. That's the thing. They are a no menu cocktail bar. So they tell you what it is and what's in it. And then you kind of forget. It's so delicious. I usually start with mezcal, herbaceous and refreshing. That's usually my starter over there. So whatever cocktail that Mason made me this week at Idlewild was my favorite thing that I drank. And then that I ate. I'm trying to remember what I ate this week. It's been such a whirlwind, but the last thing I remember that I ate that I liked was probably a shrimp po' boy at Jack Beagle's. <laughs> oh, I love it. In a wrap. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I was because I was starving or it was just that good, but Beagle's is always a consistent. I love a, a, a shrimp po' boy. Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a go-to. Whenever I see that on the menu, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I got to give it a try. Yeah. And always ask the bartender, too. I was like, is this good? He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I love it. But, yeah, got it in a wrap. That was delicious. I love it. Amanda, this has been amazing. I forgot to mention that you, and you mentioned it, but you did win Mitsologist of the Year for North Carolina in 2017. So, big deal. Um, <laughs> and just happy to have you in Charlotte. You said you were going to leave Charlotte at some point, but we're never going to leave. Oh, like, no, no, I said if, if, yeah. if. So you're never going to leave, and if you do, we'll just kill you so you can't leave. No, they've been, Charlotte's been no too threats. good to me. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Just, you know. But, but everyone go check her out at Orto because um, she's doing amazing things. And you, now yeah. you know if you order Fernet, she's going to talk to you more. So if you don't want to talk to her, order so, a gin and tonic. And yeah, if you want to talk with her, order a Fernet. Yeah. Yes, and look out for um the I did a bunch of virtual classes during the winter and I'm continuing to do those as well. So Oh yeah, tell us where me. we can find you. Tell us yeah, everything um, else you got going on and where we can find you. Sorry, like I, I cut you off. No, you're fine. Uh Instagram at Amanda B Mixing. That's how people know me. Um, but yeah, uh just follow me there. I'm doing a spring spritz class next month. Um 
virtually. So I'll be selling tickets to that. And then the next month, uh, some Cinco de Mayo fun mezcal and tequila cocktails as well. So, so, you, know, so you buy a ticket and then do you like send them the mixers and stuff? Um, so we'll, you'll have an opportunity to either purchase or it'll be a kind of a shopping list. So I want people to be able to figure out how to make cocktails at home, you know, on their own, like go get a small shopping list, be able to execute a couple cocktails at home virtually with my instruction. But I got to, of course, during COVID when everything shut down, I was doing cocktail classes before I've done and taught cocktail classes for years and years. So, um, again, the word pivot, being able to do that virtually was super fun. And I've had a bunch of clients, uh, repeat. So I've done some since the beginning of the year, which has been super fun. So I'm just going to kind of keep that going. I think it's been a great opportunity and education is kind of my favorite part about this job, whether it's over the bar or, you know, over a zoom call, it's been, it's been fun. I've worked with some local uh, companies here as well as uh, companies out in Silicon Valley. So I've done kind of virtual cocktail classes for people. All over the- oh, you're doing some startups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a law firm there. <laughs> they have a couple of um, uh, offices. So I've done it for a few of their, their clients. So, and we did one when you did them at Bardo and it was super yeah. fun, uh, made cocktails and had some food. So definitely yeah, check out her, yeah. her cocktail. Amanda obviously made some amazing cocktails. So the problem is when you do it and you start drinking and you forget everything she taught you. So maybe like pace yourself a little bit, <laughs> but you have a great time either way. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I love teaching and doing that stuff. So any opportunity. So everyone go follow her at Amanda B. Mitzane on Instagram. She does amazing things there and go see her at Ordo and Amanda, this has been awesome. I will see you in person at yes, the bottom. Yeah. So my love to Yvonne. I will.